Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 13 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 13. The title of the message today is Parables on How It Will All End. Parables on How It Will End. We're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview through the book of Matthew, and this is sermon number 58 through the book of Matthew. We are in Matthew 13 again. And again, I've titled this series Jesus Worldview because more than ever, it's amazing that the context is still relevant. We need the worldview through the lens and through the eyes of Jesus. I want his worldview. I want his understanding. I want to know how he views the world around us. All that is going on in this day and age, I want to know what he thinks. I want the Lord Jesus' perspective. There's always so many opinions and ideas going around, challenging and tearing down and confusing people. And I want to get back to the clarity of God's word. What is his plan on the earth? What is his plan for us? What does he want this earth to look like? And so that's what we're doing here through the book of Matthew as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the text. Heard of a story of a man, maybe you heard this one too. Man and his wife went on a sightseeing trip to the Holy Land, <clears throat> Israel, and the man's nagging critical mother-in-law accompanied them. That's not the joke. <laughs> During the trip, the mother-in-law actually died on accident. He went to the local undertaker to find out his options. Well, the undertaker said, for 5000 we can ship her home, but for 150 bucks, you can bury her here in Israel. The man thought for a few minutes and said, I think I'll have her shipped home. Didn't you hear what I said? The undertaker said, I told you it would only cost 150 bucks to bury her here. You could save a few thousand dollars. Well, said the man, I've heard that around here there once was a man who died and came back to life again. <laughs> I just can't take that chance. <laughs> With all that's going on in our world today, it can be easy to feel overwhelmed be discouraged at times and say, what in the world is going on? I, I just can't believe how much more confusing our society and world continues to get. And over and over again, my heart is reminded to look to true north, to look to the star, to look to the one who is over it all. And really, it's the only way to find rest in the midst of chaos. Really, it's the only way to have perspective and understand that God might, just might have a plan in all of this and just might be the king of the universe, the king of the world, and he just might have good in all of this. A plan to turn it for good. A plan to work it out for his glory. A plan to settle all accounts in the end. A plan to make things right. And I need to know that that's true. Because if it's not, people are getting away with everything. They can just burn everything down and destroy everyone and hurt everyone. And everybody just gets away with it. And our spirit is just not okay with that. We want there to be a judge in the end who sets things right. But oh, like me, you probably get nervous thinking about having to stand before the judge myself. Because me too, I will stand before him. Jesus today gives us insight into how the end of the age will take place, how judgment will happen, but also how his kingdom will win in the end. The Lord will win. I love the end of the story. The return of the king. He will make all things right. He will destroy all that is evil. 
and he will bring peace and prosperity to the earth. Praise God. We are in Matthew chapter 13 in our Bibles. We're going to start in verse 24, and we're just going to read a little bit of the text, and we'll try to cover as much as we can today. We're going to look at a couple parables. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to remember whose word we are reading. This is God's word. This is the Lord Jesus' words here and story, not mine. And I hope that we can extract exactly what he is saying from it. And I hope that your hearts are filled. I hope that your minds are filled. I hope that you walk away encouraged, convicted, changed in the end. Matthew chapter 13 in our Bible, starting in verse 24, it says, He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the land overcame and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 31, he presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is the smaller of the seeds, but when it had fully grown, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three sada of four, uh, flour until it was all leaven. And these things Jesus spoke to the crowd in parables, and he was not speaking to them without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things since the foundation of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your parables. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories. We ask now that we would have ears to hear, that we would have eyes to see, that we would have hearts to receive what you are saying to your people. Help us to see it clearly. I pray it would minister to us right where we're at. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus is speaking to the parable in parables to the crowds now. And our last time together, we did an in-depth look at why Jesus speaks in parables. As he speaks in these parables, we are told that many don't hear what he is saying. But those who have spiritual ears can hear everything he says. And those spiritual ears only come through healing being healed by believing on the Lord Jesus. Once deaf and blind spiritually, now able to hear and see the kingdom of God. We must be healed, our eyes healed, our ears must be healed. And then we can see the kingdom of God. Again, to the world, you say, this is crazy. To the world, they say, are you serious? You're gonna worship some guy that like got nailed to a cross 2,000 years ago and was beat with whips and stuff and it was bloody and disgusting and they buried him and you, you actually believe that he rose from the dead and that has some impact on us today and a bunch of 12 disciples ran around telling the story and that's what's changed the world. This is crazy talk. That's foolishness. But to the believer, it's life. We see the depths of grace and mercy in the cross. We see the resurrection, promising resurrection in this life and the next. We see our lives being completely transformed and changed in an instant. Once I was blind and now I can see. Once I was deaf and now I can hear. Once I was dead and now I am raised to life. It's the work of God. We're going to look at three parables today. One of them has to do with the judgment of God. The other two speak of the work and expansion of the kingdom of God. 
and what will ultimately end up happening. Let's dive into the first. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted good seed in his field. Everything was perfect. The ground was prepared. The seed thrown evenly over this field. The farmer was satisfied with his work. Have you ever seen this done? Farmers prepare the ground and they would do so back in that day with a plow. Now, when we think of plows in this day, we think of a tractor. We think of a big machine dragging those circle discs in the ground. You've seen it sitting on the side of the road. They drag this thing and it cuts up the ground and readies it for planting. They would use a plow back in that day. They would use horse and oxen to pull the plow, this, this wood T-shaped thing that would notch into the ground. And then as the animals dragged it, it would create an open space where then you could put seed, cover it up, water it, and it would produce something. Verse 25 says in our text, but while his men were sleeping, this landowner, this farmer, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. So again, a farmer had prepared his land and he had put seed in it. And then it says, while his men who were keeping the ground were sleeping, his enemy from down the street was ticked off at him, came and threw bad seed on his land in the middle of the night. It says, while the workers were asleep, an enemy of the farmer threw bad seed all over the man's field. And of course, the farmer didn't know this and begins to water his field over months. And the sun shines down on the ground, causing germination. And the seeds take root in the field and they start to grow. They start to sprout. And when the wheat starts to sprout and come up from the ground, the workers notice a weed growing up with it, referred to as a tear in our text. Scholars believe it was probably a Darnell weed Jesus, that Jesus is talking about in this story. This weed that grows amongst the wheat is hard to identify because it looks so much like wheat until it is fully matured. It actually says it there in the text. That you wouldn't be able to identify it until grains were coming forth. They could identify it, but this one specifically would grow amongst the weeds. And at full maturity, a bulb would come forth in the end and you could identify that's not wheat. There's no grain there. That's a weed. So literally, it hides amongst the wheat and fully reveals itself at harvest. The workers were able to find it before the harvest, but didn't see it until the wheat started to show some grain, the text says. It says it there in our verse. The workers went to the landowner and said, didn't you plant good seeds, sir? What are these weeds growing? The landowner said, an enemy has done this. The servants asked, what should we do about it? The landowner said, let everything the wheat and the tares grow together lest you pull up the tares and the wheat with it. And at harvest, when it is time to get the grain, pull up the tares, bundle them together, and burn them. Then take the grain and put it in my barn. Let him who has ears hear what the Lord is saying to his church. Scary. But a lot of truth, a lot of principles in here. I remember when I was a boy, our next door neighbor, Bill, ripped up all of his grass and put down new soil, brand new soil. Fertilizer, the whole nine, I mean, it was like perfect. It was graded nice and flat and everything. He seeded the ground and then he taped it off with that orange tape. You know what I'm talking about? No one get on the grass. Bill was an older guy, but he was so kind to us, his wife would make us persimmon cookies because we had a persimmon tree in our backyard, and she would say, bring them on over, and I'll make cookies for you guys. So me and my brothers would bring bags of persimmons over, and she'd bake us cookies. And Bill had always had the latest gaming system for his grandkids, and so he would let us go in there and play games every once in a while. My grandmother lived with us for a while, and anyways, they were, they were wonderful to live next to. But Bill taped off his lawn so that the kids on the street wouldn't be running into his lawn. Bright orange tape. 
And he watered it every day. And I remember seeing grass start to sprout, little green pieces of grass start to sprout. Well, the idiot child in me, I still don't know why I did this. I just, there was a tree next door that would drop huge piles of seed. I don't even remember what kind of tree it was, but I just remember it was very fluffy and there was just tons of it. And you could rake it up into the gutters. My grandma would make us rake the gutters all the time and you could rake it up and there'd just be piles of seed. And I remember that I took a handful of these seeds that I found on the ground and I piled it up into two handfuls and I threw it into Bill's yard. <laughs> and then I went on my way. I guess I thought because Bill had prepped the ground so well and was watering it perfectly that it would be cool to see if any seeds would grow there. <laughs> dumb. Kids do the dumbest things. My grandma would tell me over and over and over and over and over and over and over, don't do that. And I would just keep doing stupid things. Well, they did grow. Bill had an absolutely perfect grass lawn except for the little three-by-three three patch where I threw seeds on the lawn. And it was brown. And trying to grow whatever I threw out there, and I remember walking by regretting it over and over, still to this day. This I hadn't remembered this story until I was preparing the sermon, and it just came back to me, and I'm like, oh, you idiot. So, Bill, if you are listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, Bill, if you are in heaven, I will repay you tenfold. I'm sorry. I'm the idiot kid that ruined your lawn. But it's amazing how just a little bit of seed in, in someone's farm can really destroy the whole thing. But it takes time to see what's growing in your lawn, and bad seeds will produce weeds. It's guaranteed. It is guaranteed. So be careful what you plant. Be careful what you plant. Oh, this seed of sin isn't going to hurt me. See, one of the biggest lies we believe is that there are no repercussions for our sins. And I have to tell you today that the repercussions for your sin are always going to be greater, greater than what you can handle. So when you're planting that bad seed, you remember, man, it sure doesn't feel bad now. But on the back end, it will be greater than what you can handle. It would be greater than you want. It takes you further than you want to go. And Bill would have to rip up all of that area from the roots, literally dig down into the soil and dig up the whole area, probably killing good grass dew, just to get the whole thing up, then put new soil down again, then put new seed down, and then finally get green grass. The grass is greener where you water it, where you take care of it, where you plant good seed, not on the other side. Do not let the world convince you that there's something so much more beautiful on the other side of divorce. I'm sorry, there isn't. It's treacherous. And even if there is salvation in it, those of you who have been through it would wish on no one that they would have to go through it, even if there is salvation on the other side. Because it hurts everyone. I'm telling you of the extreme of divorce to the smallest things and decisions in life, be careful what you plant on your lawn, in your garden, in your farm. Be careful. The enemy is looking. He's handing you bagfuls of seed. I've got some good Here you go. Go throw this in your land. He, he, he comes up trying to sell you seed. He comes up trying to deceive you, making you think that the pleasure of sin is more fun even for that little season. It's so fun, though. 
We don't know that we are about to reap destruction on the other end. Galatians 6, 9, do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith in the church. Let's do good to everyone, especially those who are in the church. Keep planting good seed. Man, I, I planted so much bad seed in my life. I don't know, through my high school years into my early college years, just so much bad seed. I'm just like literally throwing handfuls of bad seed into my life. Just throwing, here you go, let's just plant it all, plant it all. What kind of bad seed can I put in there? Let's get everything in there. I thought it would never come back on me five, ten years, never. It's amazing how it grows up and it still haunts you and it still comes back to tear you down. And you have to do the long haul of pulling the weed from the root now. You had to get your hands there into the ground. You ever pulled a weed from the ground? You can't just pull the top off. A lot of people do this. I watch them pull weeds. I'm like, you did nothing. <laughs> that, that weed is actually happy that you just pulled the top off. You gave it a little prune. Its roots are nice and planted. You got to do the deep dig. You have to get down in there and start uprooting everything bad. But I want to encourage you that the years that the locusts have eaten away, God can bring forth tenfold, a hundredfold, very, very quickly, restore it all back, even if the locusts have come up and devoured it all. That's called redemption. That's what the Lord does. And so I don't know when it was, it was around 25, 27, I just, I literally remember a clear moment of thinking to myself, I am going to stop planting bad seeds in my life. I'm not creating any more problems for myself by the grace of God. Please, God, help me. Help me to start planting good seeds that will bear fruit in the future. I was tired. There were too many storms already on the horizon. My sin in my own flesh was already enough to plant more bad seeds on the outside. I was over it. And by the grace of God, I am here today. And I haven't destroyed all of life. But Jesus starts to break down this parable for us as the disciples come to him and ask him, what does this mean exactly? Look at verse 36. Then he left the crowds and he went into the house and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The landowner is Jesus. Sowing good seed. And the field, verse 38, is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The good seed that comes up, these are the people of God. The good seed that comes up and sprout, that good grass that comes up, these are the people of God. The tares are the sons of the evil one, verse 38. The tares that come up, those weeds, are sons of the devil. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. It's the devil who shows up and literally throws seed all over that lawn. <laughs> and the harvest is the end of the age. When the harvest comes and takes place, Jesus says, that's the end of the age. And the reapers, notice, are who? Who? The angels are the harvesters, the reapers. That's interesting. They literally, the angels go at the end of the age and they gather the earth. Attention everyone, wheat and tares. Come on up, come on down. You're on the prices right. It's your time. 
God will call everyone at the end of the age to stand before him, wheat and tares, and the angels themselves will gather all the people. Wow. The harvest. Verse 40, so just as the tares gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. What? The angels gather up the tares, the evil ones, and they will burn them, it says. That is strong language now, isn't it? Jesus gives more clarity if we think he is being ambiguous. Verse 41 and 42, preachers, how do you get away from this stuff? The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. That's scary. The angels will gather all the terrors, those who were stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness. They live like there is no God, like there is no moral law. Those who didn't live in the fear of God whatsoever, they will be thrown into a fiery furnace. This is a reference to Daniel. Do you remember? He was thrown into a fiery furnace. And the only way he was not burned was why? He and his friends. Because there was a fourth one. and there was, a, there was another in there that looked like the Son of Man. Because the Lord Jesus was there protecting him. They'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Wow. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thrown into hell scared and separated from God forever this is sad there are those we heard the quote a couple weeks ago who will say to God thy will be done and then there are those whom God will say to them thy will be done you don't want a relationship with me you don't want anything that I am. You don't want to love God. You don't want to love people. You don't want forgiveness and grace. You don't want, then your will be done. You see, hell is far worse than fire. It's being separated from the one God who is love, who is peace, who is good, who is light. Who would want to be separated from that for all of eternity? Why? Revelation 20 gives us a clear breakdown of this. Just listen. Just listen to the judgment. This will happen in the future. Revelation 20, 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Kings and peasants standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is God's word. I don't make this stuff up. I just preach what it says. Neither Hitler and all the other crazies on the planet get away with everything they did or they will stand before the great judge. And the books will be opened. And it will be declared as what had been done. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, they'll be separated from God forever. Family, let's not let that be. Well, how do I get my name written in the book of life? You call on the name of the Lord to be saved. God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. 
He has made a way so that you can freely come to him right now by simply believing on him. Did you know that? You know what all the religions of the world tell you? You gotta do this, and 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 this, and this, and this, and this, and and then maybe you'll be a good person and considered for heaven. Do you know what Christ says to you and me? I have done everything for you. I did that, I did that, I did that, I did this, I did that, I did that thing, I did that, I did this and this and this, I did everything that you would ever need to do to get to heaven, and I give it to you freely. And I will forgive you of all of your sin. Why? Because I love you. And I want a relationship with you. That is his reasoning. Who runs from a God like this? I don't get it. He loves you. He loves us. He's a father who loves his kids. And he just wants us in relationship with him and to get on loving and serving the people around him. Is that too much to ask? People hate this idea. Love God, forget that. Love people, I hate that. Hell is real. The judgment is real. And the worst thing that I could ever do as a preacher is convince you that you're going to heaven and one day you wake up in hell. I will not do that. I will not candy coat it for you. I will tell you the absolute truth so that you know that you know that you know. I will not try to convince you of some surface religious relationship. Christ is calling you to follow him with all of your heart. And over my dead body, no one in this church will hear the gospel and be surprised that they didn't make it to heaven. You will know. You will know why. Yield to him, submit your life to him, give your life over to him completely. But I also believe by the power of God's spirit through preaching his truth that many, by the grace of God, all of you will stand there in the end, walk into his kingdom and enjoy his presence forever. That's my prayer. That's why I'm in this city. That's why we're here. Verse 43 says, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun, and in, their, in the kingdom of their father. Beautiful. I love this picture, shine forth as the sun. It's like that sun, that beam ray coming through the, the windows there in the morning, and it's hitting your face, and it's warm. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. We will shine. We will shine bright like a diamond. We. What is so spectacular about me? It's the work of Christ in me. The most spectacular thing is that God saved me and redeemed me and caused me to love my neighbor and love him. That's the most powerful thing that could ever happen to me. And it was not my own doing. It was God's doing, and I'm thankful. The righteous will be saved. Those who have believed on the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of sins, the righteous are those who are right with God. And I want to ask you today, are you right with God today? We will have a time to get right with God before we partake of communion. I encourage you to do so. Get right with him. What are you waiting for? 2 Peter 3.9, again, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. He is patient towards you. He's a patient father not wishing that anyone would perish, but that every single one of you would come to repentance. And that's why you're hearing this message today. One interesting thing in the parable that stuck out is the darnel, the, the weeds grow amongst the wheat. And you don't know they're weeds until they are mature, and you actually see this in the church. The tares will actually grow amongst the weeds, but... You can't identify it at some point. And it's sad because you want to love and trust everyone fully in the church, but the Lord is pointing out that the enemy, the enemy is literally coming into the churches and throwing bad seed into the churches. And there's bad seed growing. We are to be discerning how 
you will know a tree by its fruit. You may not be able to right away, but the Lord will reveal it long term. I was very nervous in the beginning of our church that people could sneak in and destroy the church. And I, I was scared, of course. But what I've learned over the small time of eight years is that the Lord will reveal the hearts of men in due season. Time is on our side as we submit to the word of God and wait on him to reveal the good seed and bad seed within the church. The key is just to keep watering the seeds with the word of God. You just keep watering. And eventually somebody get ticked off. Storm out of here. Like God's word. Watering. They're given due season, the secrets and the, the behind the scenes stuff, all this happening. I've seen God time and time again. One day he just opens the curtain. I don't even have to do anything. And I praise God for that because he is the shepherd of this church. And he will protect his people, his flock. I'm not smart enough. I can't do it. But God will. The key is just to keep watering with the word and it will reveal the hearts of men and women. I was reminded again this last week that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and it is what actually changes people's lives. It saves them, convicts them, and brings them close into relationship with God and it also, excuse the word, condemns them. It does. And my primary goal is to preach the word of God clearly in truth without trying to offend people. That's not my desire. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. If I just preach it clearly in truth and it convicts and it condemns, I've done my job. And if it saves and if it encourages, I've done my job. So I'm hoping the word of God does two things continually throughout the history of legacy it will condemn and it will save. And if people can just hang out in church, in our church for like two years and never be convicted and never be changed and never be scared out or, or scared into relationship with Christ, I'm not doing my job. I'm not here to be a jerk. Jesus was not a jerk, but the things he said, they killed him for it. He was the nicest guy to ever walk the earth, and they killed him for what he said. Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will accomplish its purpose when you preach it. Just preach the word of God and let it do the rest. Back to verse 31 our closing part of this parable, we have two pictures. It says he presented, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Mustard seed? Yes. Which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is fully grown, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three sata of flour until it was all leaven. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He was not speaking to them without a parable. He had started teaching them in parables from this moment on, the crowds especially. So that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. I love that these parables hold really the secrets of the universe. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But a couple things to look at. First, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed. Have you ever seen one? They're like a grain of sand, really small. I remember an old man walking up to me with a mustard seed in a piece of tape, clear tape, like, you know, uh, you know, packing tape. He had taken one grain and he put it in the center of it. It was a little square of tape and you could see it, this little thing. He would say, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. We know that that faith that is being talked about 
is just one of pure substance. Even one small grain of pure faith can bring forth righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. One small seed of faith could actually move mountains. The small seed of faith through the apostles moved mountains. The gospel has flourished to the ends of the earth, and it is still moving on. It is amazing to see how fast it has grown. This probably is the Palestinian mustard seed he is speaking of. It is extremely small, and it is smaller than a grain of rice. It's more compared to a grain of sand, and it grows into a large bush of up to 15 feet tall, and it actually becomes very, very wide. This little seed. You just throw a grain of sand into the ground, you just water it, it becomes a 15-foot tree. It's crazy. Second thing to notice is Jesus is actually saying it is one of the smallest seeds in the world. He makes it a point to show how small it really is because it's true the gospel, the seed of the gospel in the eyes of the world is almost nothing. And sometimes in the hearts of the church it's almost nothing as well. And this bothers me. Yeah, it's just the gospel, you know. Yeah, I, I've heard it so many times. It is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. That message unlocks the hearts. We were studying Romans 10 this last week in men's group on Wednesday night. I was teaching through it. And I was shocked at Paul's argument. He says, how will these people hear unless someone preaches? If no one does the work, guess what? Nobody is getting saved. Do you want to know why LA is not coming to Jesus? I know. It dawned on me again. It is because the Christians in LA do not share the gospel. You want to know why we don't share the gospel? I know why. Because I'm in it too, family. I feel it too. We're scared to offend the person next to us in the grocery store or the bank or wherever it is, at the gym. We're nervous they're going to look at us and think we're crazy. So we don't say anything to them about God until they bring it up. Whatever happened to being bold like the apostles and going into the city and sharing the gospel with people, being unashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Unashamed. Christians in LA are ashamed of the gospel. This is why there is no revival. And I'm telling you, it will not happen, church, until you make the decision to share Christ with somebody. When is the last time you shared Jesus with somebody? If it's been a year, if it's been two years, it's been way too long. When's the last time you prayed for a stranger in this city? When's the last time you invited somebody to church? What are you scared of? I want to see the city change too. I have felt all of this grow around my heart as well. i got to be cordial with people, and I don't want to overstep my bounds. I might offend somebody, you know, all this stuff. I am done. I'm done with it. And I think the pandemic and all the crazy stuff that's gone on in our city and our world these last couple of years, it's just like, what are we waiting for? We need to start swinging for the fences. I dare you to share the gospel with somebody. You know what might happen? They might get saved. What if they actually showed up to church and their, their marriage was transformed and their family was transformed because you took the step of faith? Little mustard seed. That's all it takes to grow a very large tree in the city. Can you imagine the person who shared with Billy Graham Imagine the, the Christians in the New Testament church who took steps of faith to preach to the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. 
Maybe as, he, as they're, he's arresting them, they're saying, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. You got this wrong. Don't arrest me. You don't want to do this. He is the one. In boldness, we're nervous because we might lose our reputation. We're nervous that somebody might look down on us in the grocery store. But man, what happens when you stop to share with that person on the street and you end up praying for them and they're in tears walking away from you saying, thank you for taking time to minister to me. Nobody in this city has any time to do that. It says, Jesus points out that when this tree grows, it will be larger than all the other plants in the garden and now the birds and the animals of the area can come and live and hide inside of it. This is the parable of the kingdom of God. He also gives a parable of the leavened bread. He said it's like a woman putting the yeast into the bread, the dough. Those of you who bake, you know what this is. Those of you who don't, you're like, leaven, what's that? It's the stuff you put into the dough and you let it sit there on the counter. I used to watch my grandma do it. That's how I remember. She made fresh bread for us all the time. Handmade. It's amazing. We would run in and wanted a slice of hot bread and we put butter on it and cinnamon and sugar. It's the best thing ever. It's a poor man's cinnamon roll. It was better than cinnamon rolls, to be honest. It was fresh, but she would let the dough rise. It would sit there on the countertop and the yeast causes it to rise and it literally permeates the entire piece of dough so that it all rises so that when you bake it, you have this nice fluffy loaf of bread. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. It's a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven, and when it gets in there, it literally takes over everything. We're running out of time here, so I'm going to just explain it to you. Let's connect the dots. You know what the kingdom of God is like? It's like a little baby mustard seed. You throw that thing on the ground, and boom, it just takes over. It's like a little bit of yeast you put in dough, and it literally causes the whole thing to rise. All it takes is a little bit of the kingdom, a little bit of the gospel here in this city, and trees start to grow everywhere. People start to love and serve each other. Lives are transformed. And what Jesus is ensuring us, what he did in the first parable, is that there will be a judgment in the end. People will stand before the king and have to give an account to him. But what he is also reminding us of is in the end, the kingdom of God will prevail. The trees will grow. You know how many thousands of mustard seeds there are on the earth? The leaven will get in and it will take over everything. The kingdom of God will flourish and God will have his way. Praise God. And it has happened. It started off with 12 guys running out, sharing the gospel. And now we have millions, hundreds of millions of people who have come into relationship with the living God, had their sin forgiven, had their lives transformed and changed, and they went on loving and serving the people around them. And they now sit in heaven with the Lord at peace and at rest forever. God is still doing a work. He's doing it right now here in L.A. And we get to take the good seed and throw it everywhere. The enemy's out there with his workers, dropping bad seed everywhere. You know what the cool thing is? You put a mustard seed next to a Darnell, that little weed, and that mustard tree, that tree just takes over everything. It will conquer and it will achieve its purpose. The Lord is working, he will win in the end. I wanna ask you today, are you part of that work? Are you on board? You get to decide. The train is moving. God is working. He will accomplish his purpose. He's just trying to find people who are willing to do it, who are faithful. Let's pray. Let's turn our hearts and minds over to the Lord as we worship in communion. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, God, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for these pictures. And, Lord, we recognize there is a final judgment and no one is getting away from that. And Lord, we want to be right with you. We want to be right with you today. And I want to pray for everyone here today who is 
has a desire, has a need, is burning inside to make things right with you. I pray that they would understand the gospel that we have sinned before you. We've done much wrong, broken your commands. We've been separated from you because of it. But that you, Lord, came down to the earth to die for that sin, to take the punishment for our sins so that we could go free, so that we could be forgiven. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sin and rising from the dead, promising resurrection, life, life in this life, but life in eternal life as well, life in the future. And all you're asking us to do is to call upon you to be saved, to believe that you are the Lord, to believe that you are the one who saves us from ourselves. You are the one who gives us a new heart. You are the one who gives us new eyes and new ears. And I pray, Lord, that all who call upon you will be saved in this moment. They would call upon you now. Turning away from worshiping the other gods of the world and turning to you with all their heart, Lord, would you forgive them of their sin? Lord, would you heal their lives? Lord, would you resurrect them? Would you give them the gift of heaven? Would you bring them into relationship with you and make them a son or a daughter? Father, would you do that work in them now? Only you can save. I pray that each one desiring that in their heart would call upon the name of the Lord now to be saved. Say, Lord, save me. Save me from my sins. Save me from myself. I need you. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Be my Lord. Be my King. Be my Savior. Be my friend. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. Lord, I pray for all calling upon you now to be saved, that they would be. They would have newness of life in this moment. And Father, I pray now as we enter into communion, would you ready our hearts, ready our minds, to remember the greatness of your love, the depths of your grace. I pray we'd be renewed in this moment as we commune with you and one another. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.